to the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. Oh my goodness. Well, uh, it's Advent season. And, you know, kind of to, to my embarrassment, I'm going to confess, last week I didn't even know it had started. <laughs> You're like, some of you are probably like appalled and some of you are probably like, what's Advent, you know? <laughs> but last week, you know, I, I gave what I, what I felt like was a, a pretty good teaching, but I completely like overlooked that it was the first Sunday of Advent. And so I wanted to kind of jump back in. Um, if you don't know what Advent means, it simply means uh, the coming or the arrival of a notable person. And we all know who the most notable person of all is, right? The one that we celebrate, right? The one that we extol in songs of praise, the one who is worthy of all of our affection and attention. He has come. And so this season we get to celebrate him as if he's coming again because he is coming again, but also with the benefit of hindsight, knowing how he came. And we get to like remember the incredible ways that the harbingers and the heroes of our faith that were part of that incredible story. Um, Oh my goodness, I'm just like getting all over the place in my notes. Y'all just pray for me again. Um, I grew up like second generation detached from any kind of traditional denomination. I was, I grew up a non-denom Holy Ghost roller. Like that's how I grew up. My parents were already non-denom Holy Ghost rollers. And so um, I don't, I didn't even know a lot about like what the worldwide church does, you know, throughout the years in in terms of their their, their cyclical style of worship and, and leading up to these important holidays, these sacred moments all around the world. There are churches who are diving into the same scriptures today. And, and I thought that I, I, that stuff excites me, maybe because uh, I didn't grow up with it, but over the last five to 10 years, I've been discovering or maybe rediscovering a lot of the treasures that we charismatics had tossed out of the attic when we cleaned out the attic, so to speak. You know what I mean? The babies in the bathwater, so to speak. I'm finding out these incredible, like rich treasure troves of what our heroes of the faith and church fathers before us have believed and done and the ways they celebrated. It's just so rich. And so today I, I wanted to join with the worldwide church in some traditional readings that millions of believers around the world are exploring today, and this is called tradition. And if you guys know me, you probably know that I'm a little bit allergic to tradition. And, you know, upper room, (laughs) people can say a lot of things about upper room, but I'm pretty sure no one's ever accused of of being traditional. (laughs) It's not like we're trying to reinvent every wheel, just a few of them, you know what I mean? Like, oh my goodness, but um, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with some wholesome tradition as long as it doesn't become a thing that robs us of something that God might want to do right now in the new. You know, he's really creative and spontaneous still. Like, and so we can, we can enjoy traditions, but often when we gather, we have a plan, we have an agenda, but like the plan in the agenda is simply like, it's more like a blank slate for the Holy Spirit to come and write something else on. You know what I mean? But today is the second Sunday of Advent, 
And um, guys, you, I'm kind of a newbie when it comes to a lot of this stuff, a lot of these traditions, but I do know that the Shuck family traditions are alive and well. One of our traditions as a family is that we clean our house vociferously whenever anyone comes over to visit. Like if it's a guest, like we are, and, and we, like we get our kids in on it, which um, I'll tell you is not stress-free. Um, trying, <laughs> trying to get the kids to clean along with, you wouldn't believe the complaining. Like it's as if they've never cleaned anything before ever, and this is like the first time again. Uh, we're just, and it, you know, of course, when someone walks to the door, we want the main living areas to be picked up and free of clutter. And, you know, we, we wipe down the counters and do the dishes. And we, we try to uh, just present like a, a beautiful spot for our new guest or our visitor to come and hang out with us. And Ashley has taught the kids and me uh, that... <laughs> <laughs> We do this to honor our guests. Uh, we, we, we let them know, through this preparation of the house, we let them know that they are worthy of this kind of honor and effort. And, uh, and we want them to have a place where they can kind of like le- let down the luggage of their soul and like just come and chill. And, and not, it's hard to do when you see clutter around the house to feel like you can just sit and connect deeply with someone when you're looking at like a pile of, of trash and crayons in the corner, you know? And we clean to let them know that we're, we've been excited about their coming, right? About their arrival. Now, if someone is coming to our house who's never been there before, it's like their first time, then we give it a little extra clean, you know what I mean? Like I might bust out the uh, magic eraser and clean the uh, spaghetti and, and uh, peanut butter splatters off the cabinets. And we, we might go a little bit further, y'all know what I mean? Like someone for the first time is coming to your house. But guys, let's say, let's say we got a call from the governor's office and this governor's, you know, representative lets us know that Governor Greg Abbott is coming to our house for a visit. We would go all out, right? I mean, we, we would probably just finally you know, gut the kitchen and do the remodel that we'd been putting off. We'd repaint the living room. We'd like call the landscaper and be like, Casey Hahn, get on over, man. We need to fix the front yard. Because the governor is coming to our house. Guys, there was a man who had the job of calling the world and letting the world know that the king was coming. And his name is John the Baptist. And today, all around the world, churches are celebrating this man. They're talking about what he did and why he did it in preparation for our own hearts to receive and expect the Lord in similar ways, to break out in our life or to come anew or come afresh or come again, Holy Ghost. See, John the Baptist had this important task of preparing humanity for the Messiah, that the creator would come as a baby, as Aladdin, the the genie in Aladdin would say, enormous cosmic power in itty bitty living space. You know, like all of God (laughs) is coming (laughs) in a baby. And he, he has this huge task of like, 
calling the world and being like, no, y'all gotta like, you gotta get things ready. Prepare your hearts. So this message that John the Baptist had was so important that John the Baptist had a herald of his own. So the herald, 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 whatever, that dude, John T. Baptist, had a prophet talking about him long ago because of how important this job is. And so it'd be like, so let's say the governor is coming to our house. It's not going to be like the governor's assistant that calls us. It's going to be like, uh, you know, a secretary in the office who says, hey, the governor's assistant is going to call you. You don't want to miss his call. Because when he calls, he's going to let you know something really important. That the king or the governor in this metaphor is coming over. That's an important message that you don't want to leave up to just one person coming unannounced. And so the announcer had an announcer of his own because God wanted to make it very hard to miss. Turn with me to Isaiah 40. Jesus, you're so good. Continue, Lord, to open our eyes, to make us wise, to enlighten us through your scriptures, Holy Ghost. Reveal to us Jesus. This is Isaiah 40. This is... um, This is the messenger's messenger. This is Isaiah talking about the coming of John the Baptist who would talk about the coming of the Christ. And this is what it said of John. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John the Baptist is a big deal. Turn about a thousand years to Matthew chapter three. (laughs) Maybe not a thousand, but somewhere in there. Matthew chapter three. This is verse one. Now again, I, I, I hate to like harp on this too much, but I want you to kind of like feel that we're part of the worldwide faith as we read this. Right now, there are hundreds of millions of Christians reading these verses at the same time. You know, when I, when, I, when I learn things like that, it gets me out of my own world. Like, my, and my, my faith becomes way less myopic and self-centered. And I realize that I am, it's not just my faith, I am part of the faith. Like, there's a worldwide bride reading this right now as we read it together. In those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet, what's his name? Isaiah, we just read it. 
This is what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And just in case you're not picking up on it here, uh, a few chapters later in Matthew 11, Jesus double confirms, no, this is, this is John the Baptist that I'm talking about here. It's verse four. Now, John, he uh, had some interesting fashion choices. John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. Did you catch that? All. Judea, all Jerusalem, they were going out to him. That's a lot of people. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit then in keeping with repentance or bear fruit worthy of repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones, and I'm sure like if you can just envision, he's like pointing at some stones right now, from these rocks right here, God, if he wanted to, he could raise up children for himself. For Abraham, I should say. Even now, the axe is laid to the roots. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie or to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Can you guys say that with me? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. How about one is coming? Who is mightier than I? Whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie? Prepare away, is what John said. Now we have, a, we have an understanding of what that sentence means, of course, but the ancient Israelites would have a, a whole different understanding of what that means to prepare a way in the wilderness or to make a path in the wilderness. Ancient Israelites, those... The Jews would instantly start thinking about the Exodus when their nation so many years ago left Egypt, right? They were delivered. There was an Exodus from Egypt, and they had to find their way wandering through the wilderness led by God. They would connect this phrase that John the Baptist is saying and, and understand that he's talking about something very important, a new kind of, of exodus where God would save his people again. Which is why he went to the Jordan River to do it. Because if you guys recall, in Joshua 4 and 5, the last exodus ended with them crossing the Jordan and going into the promised land. And here's John. He may have been standing in the very spot 
where they crossed so many years before, proclaiming a new exodus is coming. And it's not just an escape from a human prison or, a, or a, an oppressive nation. And it's not just for the nation of, of Israel. It's that God is preparing a way for any human born of any lineage to not just escape a nation, but to escape any kind of spiritual bondage that we've been in. And John wasn't just heralding a new exodus. He was stepping into the scene like a new Elijah, a new kind of Elijah. This is actually telegraphed by what he's wearing and how he's saying and how his demeanor in this moment. In, uh, in 2 Kings verse 1, we find out that Elijah wore a garment of hair cloth and a leather belt. This is really important because all the Jews would have known the old prophecy that before the coming of the Lord, Elijah would come. And here's this man standing in the river, looking like Elijah, saying the greatest deliverance is coming. You think being baptized in water is a big deal? Wait until you're immersed in all of God. Wait until you're immersed in the river of his presence. Wait until you're baptized by his fire. And John says something <clears throat> that seems pretty harsh, and I'm pretty sure it was. He's talking about the axe being laid to the root. That even now, the axe is at the root. And he says to them, don't, don't think you can find your security just because you're born in the right lineage, just because you're born in the right family, just because you come from the right nation. And the, the reason he's saying the ax is laid at the root of the tree is because the tree is imagery for the family line, the family tree. And Jesus, I mean, sorry, John the Baptist, in this moment is saying that there's going to be a new birth that supersedes any kind of earthly lineage. He's saying that don't, don't think that because you're Jews, you're in the clear. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And so we know, like, we know that repentance is changing the way that we think about God, which then changes the way that we live our lives, Right? That's what repentance is. And so John is coming to him saying, wake up. The Lord is coming. Change the way you think about God. You know that faith actually produces works, right? Just like wisdom produces children. And so John in this moment is saying, you can't just kick back and think that you're okay. You have to meet this man and let him change your life. See, Jesus is even saying, in the, I keep on saying Jesus, John the Baptist is saying in this moment that even uh, Jesus, Jesus predates the construct of Israel, right? Before Abraham was, I am, Jesus is the uncreated son of God who has lived forever. And yes, he is born a Jew. That is because the Jewish nation is so important that God set them apart from the rest of the nations as a pure bloodline so that he could birth the Messiah through them to re-inherit nations to himself. Does that make sense? 
But John is helping them understand that it's not just about being born in the right family. You have to be born again. This is why Jesus, when Jesus came along, he would do things like he would, he would honor a, a sinful woman who came into the presence of religious elites weeping at his feet, pouring perfume on him. And Jesus, in front of everyone who felt very comfortable because of the family that they were born on, born in, would honor this woman above anyone in that room. <laughs> and say, so when, I, when I came in here, y'all didn't wash my feet or anoint me with oil. Like, this woman hasn't stopped kissing my, my feet and weeping. And, and then he proclaims her identity to these guys who thought they were secure. And he said, this woman is going to love much all her days because she's been forgiven of much. See, this is the same kind of reason why, why Jesus would talk about a, a Samaritan in front of a bunch of Jews and, and say that the Samaritan is a better human than them. He would elevate that good Samaritan to a place above any religious elite of that day because the Samaritan moved in compassion and mercy, which is a valued way more than sacrifice. I want to talk about the sandals. John mentions that Jesus, he's not worthy to even untie or carry or you know, touch Jesus' sandals. And this is, you know, it's, it's known that when a master comes home to his house, he sits, he sits down and the servant takes off his sandals. Y'all know that? Back in the day, that was one of the servants' job. When the master of the house came home, he sat down in his, in his mudroom or whatever, his ancient mudroom, and, and the servant would take off his shoes, his sandals, and sometimes even wash his feet. But John is saying, I'm not even worthy to be called this man's slave, this man's servant. John thought that he was going to be the one washing Jesus' feet, not knowing that the greatest foot washer of ever had shown up on the scene to serve him. Remember that even that scene when Jesus is it's time for Jesus to be baptized. And he goes to John and says, it's, it's time. Baptize. And John's like, no, 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 no. You, you got to baptize me. Like, I'm not, I'm not worthy to do this. Like, and Jesus is like, I understand, bud. But I'm, I'm giving you this honor. Baptize me. When we were in uh, pre-service prayer today, Sydney, raise your hand, Sydney. Sydney got this vision of Jesus. And uh, in the vision, she saw him already here before people walked in and the lights were on. And he was dressed like the janitor because when we thought we were coming to serve him, he beat us to the punch and came to prepare a place for us. It's like you can't outserve him, you can't outlove this lover.
<clears throat> John was actually the most famous dude around. All of Israel and Judea went out to him, which means that he was doing thousands of baptisms a day. So it wasn't just him. He had some like disciples, but can you imagine just bloop, bloop, and like all the time he's saying, I'm, <laughs> I'm baptizing with water, but one's coming after me who's mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Bloop, bloop. <laughs> That dude had more dunks than Michael Jordan in the 90s. Some, some, historians, some historians wrote more about John the Baptist than they wrote about Jesus. That's how famous, think, think of it like Herod said this, like when, when Jesus came along and was doing all these miracles, Herod said, wait a minute, has John the Baptist come back from the grave? Like that's how big of a deal John... The dunker is, that's what baptism means, to be dunked. John the dunker. <laughs> John would say this, like, even, he's like the rock star of the day, and he is saying, I got I to gotta decrease. It's, it's time for me to go to, into obscurity that the reputation, notoriety, and name of Christ would be lifted high above I could ever be lifted. And in that moment, he's saying all the fame, all the notoriety, everyone who knows my name, it's serving one purpose, and it's to point to this one who's coming after me. This month... I want us to heed these words of John the Baptist as if they're brand new to us. That just like he was telling Israel to do so many years ago, 2,000 years ago, just like he was telling Israel to do, it's as if the Holy Spirit is speaking those words into our heart that we're preparing a highway in our heart, that we're preparing a place in, in earnest. It's as, you know, we're, we're cleaning up the house to honor his presence. We're giving him the seat of honor. We're anticipating his arrival. We're saying, we're so excited. We've been waiting. Come again, Holy Ghost, and not just come again, Holy Ghost, but Jesus, Maranatha. <laughs> We're in eager expectation of the coming of Christ. I want us to heed his words, but I also want us to mirror his demeanor and, and echo his message and the, and the mission of John to the world around us. I want, I want us to like let our light really shine. You know that we're, we're gonna be surrounded by family who are uh, enjoyable and difficult this whole month. And I want your fruit, <laughs> fruit worthy of repentance, that compassion and kindness, that gentle word, that welcoming hospitality. I want us to shine like that for the people around us, for our, for our family this, this year. And, and just get excited that the king is coming and the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. Can we stand together and pray? Jesus, thank you for Isaiah that told us John the Baptist was coming, and thank you for John the Baptist who told us that you were coming. And thank you, Jesus, for telling us that the Holy Spirit was coming.
<laughs> you didn't leave us orphans. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We prepare our hearts in eager expectation. We prepare our lives in earnest that you want to do something new and big, that you want to come again, Holy Ghost. We eagerly await your return, Jesus, and we rest assured in your promises. We rest assured that this good work you began in us, you will carry until the very day of Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for everything you're doing in our hearts, in every relationship, in every family represented in this room. We bless our children to discover not just the magic of modern Christmas, but to discover the magic of the incarnation, the wonders of your glorious name, Jesus. Amen.